Hello, welcome. This is episode 43 of the Push to Shout podcast. I'm Skip. I'm Mike. And uh, we're going to talk about some video games and whatnot. Uh, and and uh, we'll just go ahead and start it off with you. What what have you got for us? Okay, video games first, because we always talk around movies and, you know, real life things first. And I don't know, maybe people listening might start to want to kill themselves or something. We don't want that. So I played a game called Gunpoint. And it's not I've a new game. Gunpoint. It's not a new game, but it's a fantastic game. It is. Uh, yeah, uh, you're a, a like a hacker spy with frog-like agility, and it's so fun. You like rewire certain mechanisms, like light switches and hand scanners and motion sensors, to trigger certain events and distract guards and make your way through security complexes and steal data. It's really, really fun. Um, I'm still working through the actual game, but I also saw that there's a ton of community levels. I, I, I'm really, really enjoying that game. It, it's great at making you feel smart. Yeah, or just badass. Like, yeah, it's funny yeah. because it's such a it's it's not a detailed game. It's 2D. It's pixely, but there's just something about the way that it handles that just makes you feel fucking incredible when you jump across a room and tackle someone. And it, it's it, I love that. Yeah. I've been uh I've been playing very stealthy pacifist, but I just for the heck of it tried out uh, uh jumping somebody and punching them, and you can just keep pressing it a million times. Yeah, it's it's very silly. It, punching animation is great. It's kind of um, like Metal Gear, where like you, you're trying to be stealthy, and then if something goes wrong, you can kind of fuck shit up a little bit and still have fun with it. Uh, although it gets really fucking hard. Um. Especially the puzzle stuff to me, I, I started struggling with that a little bit. Uh, I, I kind of got to the point where I didn't want to do the puzzles as much as just jump around and and have mm. like kill guards and stuff. The but jumping is just so fun. It is, and that's one of the little touches that's nice. Is after every level, you exit the building and then you go down into the metro, so you get to. Once you come out the other side, there's just oh, an yeah. empty space between you and, <laughs> you and Metro, and you always get to make a huge <laughs> leap. It's great. There's a uh, there's another game, and god damn it, I can't think of the name of it. I'll probably look it up uh, soon. But it it has a, a, what I assume to be similar controls. I haven't played it, but I've seen gameplay footage of it. It's it looks like it's either heavily inspired by Gunpoint or even made by the same developers. Uh, because you you control this guy who jumps around in, in a similar fashion and infiltrates buildings, but it's it's not it's almost turn based, but not quite. Like so, you you're, you you jump around in real time like gunpoint style, but then the moment that you I guess make contact with like a guard or something, it'll enter this like uh, turn based kind of system where like the other guards might like one might point their gun at you and you can see where they're gonna shoot. And the next action that you make, they will shoot in that direction. So you have to make an action to avoid their bullet, and and then they're going to aim somewhere else, and you have to make it. So it is, it's it's like got that weird turn-based kind of element to it, uh, and it gets really complicated where there's like six people with guns, and you're having to jump in a certain way to avoid their. And it it it's it's really cool looking, and I've been meaning to check it out, and I, I haven't, but like I'm really glad you reminded me of that accidentally because it looks. Once you're done with Gunpoint, you should look that up. I'm, I'm going to look up the name of the game if I can find it, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it looks awesome, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to play that, uh, but I won't actually be able to for a while because the other thing going on in my life is moving. Um, 
tomorrow I'm going to be hitting the road, never coming back to this house. Uh, going to be eight hours of driving tomorrow, eight hours of driving the day after, and then eight more hours Ugh. the next day. So it's going to be you know some days on the open road, trucking down the the dusty highways of Middle America. Load up uh, some podcasts or whatever. Yep, that's the plan. Oh, boy. You can listen to the Serial Podcast. I can. That would actually be a good opportunity that to do that. That takes up, like, probably eight hours, so there you go. Yeah, that'll be one of the days, probably. And then, uh, not much else, video games. I watched two Wes Anderson movies, because I'm trying to watch all his movies now, because um, I liked Budapest and... Uh, what was the other one? Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox. So I saw Rushmore, yeah. and I saw The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. And Rushmore was fucking incredible. Rushmore is one of my favorite movies of all time now. Oh, wow. It's okay. really, really good. It's um, with an actor that I have never liked in anything else I've seen him in, Jason Schwartzman. But he's really good in Rushmore. Rushmore is perfect as, okay. the, as that style goes. Um, it, he's not like as indulgent as things like Grand Budapest Hotel. It is quirky, like Wes Anderson's movies are, and his movies. And we've said this before; they are quirky for the sake of it. But he pulls it off. Rushmore doesn't actually feel that way. Rushmore feels just kind of like off kilter and interesting, like a heightened kind of reality, but not in your face. And the story is great. The characters are great. The writing is sharp. It's fantastic. The Life Aquatic is kind of the opposite of that. I still enjoyed it, but it's probably like the most indulgent one of Wes Anderson's movies that I've seen. Yeah, it's like I, yeah. the most overtly stylistic, you know, just the very silly characters and the red hats and the the ship design and very silly sequences and running through swamps and jumpsuits and it's like a cartoon with actors, basically. Yeah, yeah, almost. And Rushmore is not like that. Rushmore is, it's it's a it's a legitimately great movie. I'll have to check. I it would out. recommend everybody see Rushmore. Yeah, and that's my week. I've been meaning to watch Wes Anderson's films. Have you seen um uh fuck now I can't remember the name of this one the uh, the island one with oh Moonrise uh, Kingdom yeah yeah Moonrise Kingdom you seen that it? was that was actually the first one I saw I didn't know who he was. And uh, I, I just saw it when it came out in the theater on a whim. Yeah, I, I think that was pretty good. Uh, it's not as best, but it's, it's good. Yeah, I, that was, I guess, I didn't start watching his movies then, but it was very interesting because you don't really see other movies like that There's that a, have that same yeah. type of dialogue and not just the visuals because that movie really wasn't that, like, it wasn't that extravagant visually probably the the most wes anderson cliche kind of thing in it was there's like a, a shot of like a cartoon scissors at one point during an action scene yeah but the rest of it is more grounded visually uh if you go back i bet if you go back to watch it after watching his other stuff you might notice more like he just he sneaks some of that stuff in without like it's not overt enough that you probably don't you notice that it's like a quirky stylized kind of film but I think that's true like I the, think you'll notice the it even flooding more once of you're familiar the, the scout camp oh, kind of yeah, sticks out like to me it's like very obvious miniatures yeah. and then like he, he just the way he he does like jump cuts and stuff that are just very 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 distinctive and then the flat uh flat angles on everything mm-hmm. where like everyone's always 90 degrees to the yeah. wall and um 
but yeah, I, I, I did like it. I think there's something really specific about Moonrise Kingdom that I like a lot, which is the, the feeling of an impending storm, uh, which is like, it's not something for some reason that's not something you see a lot in movies and stuff. But oh, it's a I don't very. Know. I think life is strange. Sure, does oh, it well? Dear. Okay, well, <laughs> I take it back then. Uh, I'm I, I'm sure that Wes Anderson doesn't live up to that art. But, but yeah, uh, you're right. It it does get that feeling. That's a yeah. That's a very distinct feeling and a very strong one to me. I I don't know about you, but like when a storm's coming, like it kind of activates like primal instincts a little bit and like you feel it you know you can literally feel it yeah um there's if you have like uh if you've sprained like your ankle a lot of times then you can actually start to feel it hurt when the the barometric pressure changes uh and so it's it's kind of surprising and the things that it represents it's it's given all that it's kind of surprising you don't see it more in 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 media but yeah that movie like starts by the narrator guy the, yeah, the the weather the man. man. Yeah, he, he's it describing that the storm him. is coming yeah. in three days, and the wind is picking up and all that stuff. And he's like, I, I I loved that. That was my favorite part of that movie, which is kind of weird because it was just kind of this aside thing, but I liked it yeah. a lot. Um, all right, so, yeah, the name of that anything? game. Before I forget, that name of that game is Ronin. Uh, so check it out. It looks like Ronin. it might have some Hotline okay. Miami inspiration too, because you're playing a guy with a motorcycle helmet. That's always anyway. a good thing. Yeah. Um. So cool game. Probably. I haven't played it, so I can't say. Uh, so I've been playing some video games. Um, I mentioned last week that I played, again, through uh, Ground Zeroes. And so I went through and I played all the missions on hard mode uh, and just, just to complete them, I guess. And then I, I, I realized that on the main menu, there's actually a, a thing that says upload or download uh, save data. And apparently they're planning to transfer your progress from ground zeros to Metal Gear Solid five, I guess yeah. like the prisoners that you capture. I didn't know that. Uh, so yeah, that was, um, that was, they announced that almost immediately when it came out. Yeah. That's, that's weird. I just didn't, I didn't know there'd be, how, how are they going to make that seamless when, when five is supposed to take place like 10 years later? I don't know. It's my it's guess probably... is that they're just like, I, I think that like mother base staff might grow their skills over time. Or at least that would make sense. And that if you capture them nine years ago, then they could probably develop into some formidable crewmates or, or field agents, whatever. Well, regardless, I'm very excited for five. Uh, and I've, I also went over and uh, I've been, I, I caught myself up a little bit on Peace Walker, which I had, I'd played through most of Peace Walker, but then you get to the end and there's like a point where it's like, okay, you need to complete Metal Gear Zeke and all this crap. And it's like, I don't, I didn't want to deal with it anymore because it's yeah. not that fun of a game. Um, so I went through and watched like the rest of the cutscenes and everything. And there were some things that I'd forgotten about that happened in Peace Walker that uh, kind of surprised me a little bit. Like spoilers, uh, Miller at the end has like this moment where he's, I guess talking to, I think the CIA or something. And like, he's apparently playing both sides and stuff. And it, I, it's this, it, I, I don't know. It's this thing about his character that I didn't realize. And so apparently he's not necessarily a traitor, but like he's, he's playing people against each other. He's pitting the enemies and stuff. So I, I don't know. I, I've just, I constantly am theorizing how Metal Gear Solid five story is going to play out. And I, I keep remembering things that happened that I'd forgotten about and going like, Oh, that ruins everything that I had thought of before. Uh, who fucking knows what they're going to do with that. That's you know, exciting though. Speaking of the story kind of undermining things, uh, Kappa, of all people, 
pointed out an inconsistency in one of the Metal Gear trailers when um when Snake is trying to get the Russian interpreter so that he can understand Russian. Yeah. He speaks Russian in Metal Gear Solid Three. Yeah, the whole time. Yeah, he does. He oh, wouldn't well, yeah, need an interpreter. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but yeah, it's so cool that you can overlook it. But yeah, and and it's like a gameplay thing where it's like that's right. I, they retcon shit like that constantly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And like I wouldn't. I don't know. I I haven't played Metal Gear Two and Metal Gear One, but I've seen all the cutscenes and stuff, and it's very silly. So the. I'm not worried about it. I know that he's going to handle it well, but I hope that he doesn't. That Kojima isn't too chained down to how Big Boss acts in Metal Gear One, like that he's willing yeah. to change his character. I mean, I clearly think... he, he clearly it's going to be different. He's yeah. just a cartoon bad guy in Metal Gear One, but um, I, I just I wouldn't get that sense of satisfaction if we just kind of built up to Metal Gear One and closed the loop. I think it needs to have like a powerful ending in itself. I, yeah, like it needs to not necessarily retcon those two games, but at least kind of hint Flesh that those those or... games aren't all there was. Like, because you already yeah. get the impression that, like, even just from even Metal Gear Solid, I think that you start to get the impression that those first two games weren't really the story that they're building in the Solid games because mm-hmm. Big Boss has a much more defined motive, you know, because uh, he was just, yeah, like you said, he's just kind of a cartoonish stereotypical villain in the, in the old games. And so I, I hope that they provide enough, I don't know, character, I guess that, that you can kind of theorize what happens in those two games. Like, I don't want to actually go yeah. up to like the nineties, which I don't think that, I don't think that'll happen. Uh, but uh, it would be really i don't know it's there he's fucking he's got a hard job to do kojima does to to kind of bridge this gap because it's it's a weird the, the the series has gone in such weird directions that obviously weren't planned and now he's trying to i think fucking ugh. i think though that he i think he learned a lot from four he i don't know four felt like a conclusion but not really a great thematic conclusion like it just wrapped up a lot of plot and loose ends and characters and made them end and you know all the facts about what happened it 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 wasn't it didn't mean all that much yeah i think the only meeting eve again like that was weird and i didn't like it the only meaningful theme that i think it had that it actually i think it did quite well is is the aging theme yeah it, it it i think it had good themes like that or maybe just one great theme but as far as thematically resolving the Metal Gear series, I don't think it did. No. And this, from the even just the trailers, it seems like the tone is right. The tone is there. But that's something that I'd forgotten about with Peace Walker again. Is and I only played it like a few months ago. I don't know how I've forgotten so much about it. But I guess like having that much Metal Gear Solid all at once was was a little bit of an overload for yeah. me. Um, but going back and watching the cutscenes and stuff, the the tone and the presentation of Peace Walker is actually the best in the series, in my opinion. Uh, it, it does such a good job with just oh, God. I don't so know. three three is probably still my favorite tonally. 
I I think it I think it does better than three even. I, I love I love three. Um and I think three is a better overall package as a game. I think three is one of the best games of all time. But and Peace Walker is not at all that. But but as far as like cutscenes, as far as the, the, the way the story is presented, I think comic that book stuff. Yeah, and the, not not just the comic book I love the comic book style and I think it's a really great uh kind of way to work around a limitation of hardware while making it even better than it would be mm-hmm. with better hardware. Uh, but just the way that the dialogue goes, like like Snake as a character, or Big Boss rather, as a character, uh, is fleshed out really, really well in Peace Walker. He has a much more defined character, I think, than he did in 3. And and it's he's more separated than, than he was in 3, I think, from, from Solid Snake. Yeah. Uh, I guess I I, I, I I liked it a lot. I don't know. I'm going back through and, and and watching a lot of it, and I just I think he's got like a better sense of humor. And David Hayter actually like takes the acting to some lengths with like Big Boss getting frustrated at stuff. Like it, it's it's the best performance of that, that of is David true. Hayter. It is David Hayter's best performance. But I, I, I I'm still a Metal Gear Solid Three guy. Yeah, sure. I understand that completely. <laughs> Uh, and I still, I actually, I, I almost think that you should go back and play Metal Gear Solid One at some point because the 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 base of Metal Gear Solid One, the the setting is, I think, the best in the series. Oh, um, absolutely! I no love question. It. Maybe I mean the jungle is close in it's, three. It's but cool. Still, Shadow Moses is just the Shadow Moses has this gear. feeling about it, like just this. It's it's such a unmistakable feeling to entering that base and making your way through and like it feels like such a complete package once you're done i don't know i i have a lot of uh, even playing even going back and playing it this many years after it was made for the first time it it still blew me away if i'm worried about one thing for five it's that the world is open and you can like go anywhere at any time and there's lots of kind of outposts but we haven't really seen anything that's I don't know if they've shown outstandingly enough. Yeah. memorable. Mother we, Base is might might have that role, but yeah. there's got to be something, some huge or not huge physically, but some memorable place. Unique, yeah, yeah. unique. That's that's the important thing that it stands out from the rest of the environment. Because Afghanistan's boring as fuck. Like the most boring parts of Metal Gear Solid Four were the first two acts, where it was just like, okay, here's here is. Uh, a Middle Eastern city, and here is a like a South American jungle or whatever, wherever it was. Like, I'm it's, really excited to play in Africa. Yeah. I can't wait to get to Africa in five. I just hope it's. I hope it's. I hope there. Is, like you said, I hope there's a lot of unique stuff that's that makes it actually that sets it apart. Um, yep. 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 Anyway, we talk. We talk a lot about Metal Solid, and it's going to get a lot it worse in a couple it. weeks. It deserves it. Dude, oh my god! In two podcasts, we'll be talking about it. We'll be talking about playing it. I don't think we'll be able to talk about anything else. I don't know how we. We might have to make like a Metal Solid podcast just so that we don't fill all of our time with it. Well, you know what? I think we should just put out the L points bulleted here. Um, we'll talk about Metal Gear Solid 5 and we'll go into spoilers. So Yeah. If I, you really don't want to be spoiled then don't I think we'll know. figure out I think we'll figure out a way to separate. I, I I'd like to do that. Like just like That would be cool. Just like a dedicated Yeah. I think that'd be a good idea. I want to do that. Yeah, that'd be good. Anyway, uh let's move on. Um so oh, another, wait, before we move on, another thing that Peace Walker has <laughs> is the 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 Russian guy has the red fucking arm prosthetic arm i didn't somehow i didn't put those two pieces together 
Really? Uh, yeah, if you go back and play the whole no, time. No, I mean, how did you not notice? <laughs> I, I don't know. And and it's got even it's even got the rocket arm ability that that Snake uses in one of the, in the, the latest gameplay thing where he shoots it off of his arm. That's in Peace Walker, and somehow I'd completely forgotten about it. Uh, and it's one of the best little cutscenes, too, because he shoots it at Snake with like this really dramatic flare, and Snake just ducks behind a corner, and it hits the corner and falls, and the guy dies. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Um, okay. I have gotten into Star Trek The Next Generation for, like, no reason. Um, I needed something to watch while doing stuff like playing Polybridge, and I chose Star Trek. And this is a show that I'd seen actually quite a few episodes as a kid. Um, and I didn't have a lot of, like, I don't have, like, a lot of nostalgia for it. Like, it was just something that was on TV that I'd watch occasionally and thought was okay. Uh, but going back and watching some of it is, uh, they, they did a pretty good job. It's very mixed. It's very, like, God, that show, I, I hate to fucking bring a familiar solid <laughs> analogy, because, but it's fresh on the mind. It's got that same kind of thing where it's like a lot of really, really good stuff mixed in with a lot of really, really stupid and bad stuff. Uh, it, it's it's a mixed bag. It's like the definition of a mixed bag, but I, I'm enjoying it. There's not much to say about Star Trek. Uh, I, I, uh, my, I like all it. All I know of Star Trek is what I learned from the Mr. Plinkett reviews. Hmm. On Red Letter Media, well, so I have a pretty skewed perspective. You should at least watch like a couple of episodes of like Next yeah, Generation. Yeah, like I've, I've heard the original series. I've heard like the synopses of some of the more memorable episodes, but I haven't ever actually yeah. watched an episode of, of either show. Just uh, Captain John Luke Picard, man, he was a he's an astounding dude. He's really great. And okay, <laughs> so you mentioned Polybridge. My brother has been playing a lot of that. It's a good game. I thought I, I dismissed it because all the YouTubers got into it. All the streamers and YouTubers got into it, and that's that's where I saw it constantly. It was just like it, it just became really popular with that crowd, and I thought it was just kind of one of these stupid games that, for whatever reason, went viral. And and I don't know. I don't actually know what inspired me to play it, but something inspired me to play it. And memes, I guess memes. And I I I really like that game. It's very very enjoyable. It's surprisingly extremely hard yeah uh i haven't actually tried i've played other games like it there's tons of other games like it over years but um this seems the most polished of all of like the bridge builders i wouldn't say well i don't know i I don't have a lot of bridge building genre experience it doesn't feel polished at all if you actually play it uh, yeah i've played like one level um it's you know compared to other games it's not polished but most bridge building games are like really shit sure um not in terms of mechanics but they're like thrown together ios shovelware games um but my general problem with them is like okay so i know that this is a a knowledge problem that could be corrected by just reading up about it. But it seems like the tutorial levels shouldn't just be easy, which is what they <laughs> usually wind up being. The yeah. tutorial levels are just easy, and you can get away with doing all kinds of stuff. But the tutorials should really teach you some like fundamentals of bridge building, like what structures are strong and which yeah. ones are not. And I don't feel like they really do a good job of that. 
so eventually you kind of figure out what works, but you still don't really have like the architectural or physics knowledge of why. And I know that you can actually, you know, read up on the actual physics and how to do architecture, but uh, I don't know. It, it just feels like I need more knowledge to just really lose myself in a game like that. Yeah. And it would take time to get that knowledge, and I don't value playing the game that much. I understand that because I, I the reason it appeals to me so much is that I do have that knowledge. Just over the years, I've I've read up on stuff like that a lot, and so I understand the basic ideas of you know angular structure building and and how and weight management and that kind of stuff. And so it appeals to this nerdy physics side of me that I've always had that very few games really appeal to uh because like a lot of like a lot of games will kind of give you that opportunity to do to express your nerdy physics interests but it's almost always in this totally sandbox environment where there's no goals and that sucks yeah like i i can i can set my own goals and have fun you know accomplishing my own goals but i i like it when the game sets the goals for you i like to beat the game you know and and that's what that's what this game does is it gives you these very specific goals just get from point a to point b and then the thing that i I actually don't like about it very much but that sets it apart and that is actually it is pretty interesting but it doesn't necessarily appeal to me is that it goes way beyond just building bridges it's 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 like you're building jumps and and you're using hydraulics to change how the bridge you know yeah acts and stuff and that gets that gets really really complicated and interesting and, and fun uh which I don't think other bridge builder games really go that far usually. So that, that makes it really cool, but uh, it gets fucking hard. It gets ridiculously hard. I finally built, I beat every level finally, uh, but it took me a while and a lot of them really stumped me. Like, it, it, cause like they, it gives you a budget and you have to work within right, the budget. Right. And some of these bridges are ridiculously hard, uh, especially within the budget they give you just like you're having to, build a perfect arc and i got to the point where i was kind of i didn't go as far as doing actual trigonometry but i got to the point where i was thinking about my basics of trigonometry and i was like i shouldn't be doing this 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 is not there's no way that i think this is fun and it isn't fun until you accomplish the goal and then it right. and then it's you know but uh i i it's a cool game uh definitely not for everybody definitely not one i can just recommend to anyone but if you if you're a physics person, like physics is like the only class that I ever easily made an A in. Uh, I was always a B's and C's student, but I took two years of physics classes and aced them both. Uh, I, I don't know why, but I've just got a brain for that stuff. So I, 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 I like that a lot. Um, and here you are with an English degree. Yep. Uh, I was actually a, a physics major for one semester and I really hated taking the math classes. And so I quit. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't like taking math classes. I don't mind math. I just don't like taking the classes. I'm I'm like the other way. I never really enjoyed the physics classes that much, but I I like the math. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's weird. Um, <laughs> another thing I did is uh, over the weekend uh, I went with my dad and brother-in-law. We we had a guys' day out, and we went to boys' night. Yeah, we went to a uh, a new go-kart place that opened in the Birmingham area. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. These are electric carts. And I think someone claimed that they can go like 90 miles an hour, but the, the track is so tight that you never get anywhere near 90 miles an hour. Um, 
but you still go pretty damn fast and it accelerates really quickly and it is really fun. So it's not actual races, but they, they record your times and they, they compare mm. your times to the other people you're on the track with. And I, I got like third place, I think every single time out of like, I don't know, 10 or 12 people, something like that. Um, and it was just, I, I did not expect it to be as much fun as it was considering that I've actually raced cars. I figured like, well, that's going to ruin my, <laughs> that's going to ruin the fun for these little things. But no, they're, they're so different that they're, they're still a lot of fun. And I actually got really sore because like you're having to fight against the G forces so much. Like it's actually, it's actually a, a pretty good little workout. And uh, I highly recommend it. If you have any kind of like, it's, it's actually a franchise. I think it's called like Autobahn cart something. I don't know. But, uh, if you have any actual go-kart places in your area that, that make you wear a helmet, you should check it out. Don't go to like the cart track next to the mini golf course. Cause that's just a shit little thing. Yeah, definitely. You got to do the thing where they, they, they make you wear a helmet and maybe they'll make you sign a waiver. I didn't have to sign a waiver, which I was surprised by because these things actually do go quite fast. Uh, but how did you get away with that? I don't know. I don't know how they don't make you sign a waiver. I have no idea because I, it does seem to have an element of some pretty serious danger. Like if you if you were to like get your hand wedged between the cart and another cart, for example, you would probably get pretty seriously fucked up. Uh, so I don't know, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and then after that, we went to see the new Mission Impossible movie, which you already talked about. It, yeah, it was good. It was very good. I liked the scene in the opera house where it was the the scenes were kind of going along with the music kind of. Yes. It was very clever, very well done. The, that the thing that those movies do so well is stuff that isn't necessarily original at all. It's all been done before, but they do it so well, so effectively that it kind of sets itself apart. Uh Yeah. They they're able to take situations and scenarios that have been in other movies but execute them for maximum suspense yeah, every and, time, basically. And they don't even try to avoid, like, cliches and stuff. They just do it so well that you don't care that it's cliche. Yeah, uh, like I, I have on a lot the, of respect uh, for those things. When he's on the, I don't know what they're actually called, but the, like, scaffolding. The rafters, and yeah. Yeah, and it's, like, moving up and down, and they're doing this really silly hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, that's been done in countless, like, Bond movies and stuff. Just, like, that kind of stuff. And even even the backstage idea of, like, swinging over the ropes and stuff. Yeah. That's all been done before, but they do it so well. <sighs> it was, that was yeah. enjoyable. That was, yeah, that was a particularly noteworthy scene, especially the way they have, like, the the three different sort of angles to the action going on at the same time and it all builds up together. They do the the fundamentals of an action movie really well. And they make it all fun uh, in a way that doesn't feel forced or cheesy or anything. Like Simon Pegg, I think, has a, you have to give him a lot of credit for this, where like, it's he's not just providing comic relief in certain little situations. It's like throughout an entire action scene, there will be constant comedic elements. Like every... <laughs> Every 30 seconds, probably, there's something that, that's, I mean, not necessarily laugh out loud funny, but, you know, it, it puts a smile on your face. Uh, it, it, Even it has Tom fun Cruise, with surprisingly. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah he definitely. has a lot of funny material in that yeah. movie. Uh, the, the, but the, the scene with the motorbikes, the motorbike chase comes to mind where, like, they're going down the stairs and they follow him down with the car and it just looks completely ridiculous. And, and, and they, 
and they do like the the pseudo romance elements really well. It's not like actually love scenes, but there's just like this fun sexual tension. Yeah, sexual attention that isn't actually given attention to. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is nice. A a charge. It's nice. It's nice watching a movie and not having like the big kiss scene and stuff. Like it's just kind of like, nope, this is just fucking. It's just an action movie. Here you go. Yeah, you think about it the same way afterwards. Either way, I mean, yeah, it works. The big kiss scene never sticks in your mind in any movie. So I. I, I respect those movies a lot. I feel like they get a really bad rep for being dumb over the top action and people are people are like what instantly helps. averse to that kind of stuff because of movies like Transformers, but it does it so well that it shouldn't even be compared what to What helps is that they've had a different director for every movie. So they yeah. have like a template for for action. They have a, an action hero and he has a team of cool guys and they can go on cool impossible missions. And the directors and seem like each they're director gets, Yeah, they get to choose their own style and yeah. have fun with it. And like they're ideas trying to prove had, They get to put on the screen. It's great. It's a great formula. It is. For, it's, for it's, it's, it's the American... Oh, I won't go as far as saying it's the American Bond, but it's the same formula in a way. Where a Bond maybe has a little bit less fun with itself, uh, is a little less tongue-in-cheek. Especially lately. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, lately they've become a completely different kind of movie. But this kind of goes back to, yeah, that kind of like 70s Bond <laughs> with with less womanizing maybe, but still uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I Yeah, good movie. Um, yep. All right, that's, I think, everything that I wanted to mention. And uh, we can move on to Amiibo Pirates. Yes, Okay, Isn't that so, just theft? Uh, it's illegal. Are they not? Are they stealing no, the actual? They're not, they're not, they're not stealing, stealing the actual figures. Wasn't there like an amiibo truck that went missing or something? Like someone stole an, a truck full of amiibos? Oh, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure I heard about a news story about that. In unrelated news, <laughs> or maybe Kappa, not unrelated, Kappa bought uh, 25 Jigglypuff amiibos. Oh. I thought you were going to say in unrelated no. news, people have been pirating Amiibos online. But I, I'm thinking, like, maybe how did those Amiibos get online? Well. Yeah, no, no, no. So <laughs> back to the main story. It's not actually fake Amiibos. It's a an Android device that has near-field communication and spoofs, like, the Amiibo protocol perfectly. And it's called Amico, like, with a Q-O. Mm. It's really weird, but... It's basically like a universal amiibo device. So you can set it to be like Mario, and you can touch it to your Wii U gamepad, and then it, it, it thinks that there's a Mario amiibo touching it, and it just works. Hmm. Um, obviously illegal, but I people are going to buy it. So wait, I Legally, I can't say that I might buy one. Wait, this is a product? It's a product. It's an Android device. I think it's like a Chinese yeah. thing. Sounds very you Chinese know? to me. Yes, it, it, or Malaysian or something. Um, but because they have so much not like necessary content locked behind these collectible figurines, but sometimes cool features like the Amiibos in Smash Brothers are pretty cool where they actually learn how to play you. Yeah. And specifically respond to your habits and things like that. That's really cool, but if you want to have access to the whole cast that's going to be hundreds of dollars at least yeah so i can understand the appeal of a product like this and uh 
Yeah, this could be a, a serious threat. Maybe. The, I uh, think, though, that... Sales. The, the figurine angle sort of helps them. Yeah, I think that helps that them people a lot. Want, yeah, they want the actual figures. But for anybody who was primarily buying them for the gameplay features and was kind of begrudging the price, this would sort of solve that. I just doubt there's a lot of those. I, th- I think most people who buy Amiibos are at least somewhat interested in the in the figure part, at least mostly. Like, more than 50% of their buying power Probably, probably. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I would never, I could never see myself buying an amiibo, but I could see myself conceivably, I can't <laughs> legally admit to this. I think you can legally admit to it. Actually. I don't know if someone could arrest you for like, something you uh, said for on a preference. <laughs> I, don't I guess. No, they can. <laughs> they can sue you for things you say on pod shows. Remember? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. We've been in <laughs> trouble with. <laughs> okay. So, but yeah. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. One that one that you're so interested in that you're going to go out and buy an illegal product and use it on your patented Wii U machine. Yes, and then I'm going to make an illegal knockoff of the illegal product. Whoa! 3D print it through the pirate bay and sell it to the Chinese. Sell it back to the Chinese. <laughs> uh, yeah, give them some of their own medicine. It's All a right. perfect plan. I hope uh, Tom Cruise doesn't stop me. <laughs> and other stupid things. Uh, Twitch has been playing Dark Souls. Jesus. I don't want As that. you might imagine, <laughs> want that. it isn't working very well. I don't think they've made it past, like, picking up the shield, I want to say. At, that was, like, several days ago last time I checked, but I can't possibly imagine they've gotten any farther than that because... There's no way. That's a stupid game. I think I think the whole appeal of this is that it's a, it's a completely ridiculous thing to try to do like it is literally basically impossible uh yeah so maybe that's the beauty of it maybe that's the art of it but the whole fun of twitch plays pokemon is that it was actually possible it was just really hard uh this just this is just silly yeah you have to do so many things by reaction pokemon was, was perfect for it uh this is just a fucking meme (laughs) I still think I mean, it's pretty funny, though. It's the idea, I guess, but it's still kind of... Well, I think the execution is funny, because the idea, like, you think, like, oh, Twitch plays Dark Souls, yeah, because it was the Twitch plays Pokemon. But then, like, the fact that people are actually going on there and trying to move this character around and do these complicated movements with, like, how many buttons are probably applicable, like 12 buttons or something. Uh, you know what would be funny? If they found a way to use Cheat Engine... And I know that people did this to cheat in Dark Souls 2, so I know it's possible. If they just advanced it, like, frame by frame, and then did, like, the Twitch Plays Pokemon democracy mode on each frame... Wow. That would actually be possible. And would take four. <laughs> yes, yes. But it would probably still end before this would. Like, the, the thing with Twitch Plays Pokemon, it's almost like uh, if we set a whole bunch of if we said infinite monkeys on pianos maybe one of them will play mary sure. had a little lamb this is like reproduce the entire library of shakespeare yep. territory it's yep. not gonna happen ever nope. ever ever obviously not uh but uh especially especially because then you throw in the element of a lot of monkeys intentionally trying to stop the monkeys from writing shakespeare yes. <laughs> um which which is the whole fun of twitch plays pokemon to me was watching that 
the 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 group dynamic that the saboteurs between people what did they call them there were two groups like there was the oh fuck there there was this whole fucking meta thing that that appeared where like you basically had people who were anarchy or I forgot what the other one was called. Democracy? I guess democracy. I guess it was anarchy versus democracy, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, because democracy mode is where you vote, and then the total thing gets inputted into one command, and then anarchy is every single command gets... Which, I was an anarchy person all the way through. Oh, yeah. I mean, a- Anarchy is the way to go. Uh, it's but, boring uh, to be anything else. But it was it's really fun, because like people... There were some really interesting kind of philosophical discussions cropping up about like what kind of person you know what is the what are the motivations behind anarchy people what is the motivations behind democracy people and and you really do get to this kind of like core difference between you know people and what they want and i i won't go into it but i i thought that was very interesting and i thought like if i was writing my senior thesis or something around the time that that was happening that would have been the perfect perfect subject to write about so what you're admitting publicly is that you base your entire worldview and opinions of psychology on twitch memes you're either an anarchist or a, or a democrat just like the joker let's all watch suicide squad and cry yep uh so that's the thing uh it's a stupid thing that's happening on twitch amongst probably plenty of other stupid things happening on twitch um now for a cool thing that's happening not on twitch fig uh yeah <laughs> so yet another crowdfunding site but yeah. this one has something that no other crowdfunding site really has which is accountability and investment yeah so the idea is you're not just pledging your money to people who have carte blanche to spend it however they want you can. I'm not exactly sure how it works. Oh boy, it gets complicated. Which might be, yeah, that might be one of its largest problems is communicating exactly how this equity stuff and investment works. Because I don't think it's, you know, exactly the same as. Oh, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollars. I'm pretty sure it's meant to be distributed out and crowdfunded, so it's going to get a little messier than that. But it's really the idea messy. is you're not just donating money that you, you have the ability to get something out of it. Yeah. Which and, is, it, it's interesting and, I and was, it's good. I was trying my hardest to peruse the site and figure out what exactly are these, are the conditions? What, how much money do you, can you actually get per sale a video game? You know, uh, is it meant to, are you meant to be able to recoup your entire investment or is it meant to just be a uh, a helper along with your basically just initial donation? Like it's still a donation, but you are basically being helped out by the sales of the game and 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 being paid back a, a portion of your of your donation. And I couldn't find any concrete information about it. It was very vague. I think I think you have to really like actually sign up as an accredited investor to to get the actual conditions. And I'm gonna try. I'm going to try to research it more because I had only just found out about it before we started recording. But, uh, it, so it, yeah, the minimum investment is a thousand dollars. Yeah. And I think there's a separate 
accreditation process? There's a there's a there's a federal accreditation process where you cannot be an investor in a company if you there's two I think there's two main qualifiers uh, or it's it's one of two main qualifiers so it's this is an either or situation uh, either you have to have a net worth of over I think a million dollars or and I think that's in liquid assets or you have to have a net income of two hundred thousand dollars or more over the course of two years I think per year um, huh. which is way more money than you would need to donate I mean to invest a thousand dollars so that's kind of a big big wall uh and I think I think their idea is to try to get to the point where it's more of like a everyone can do it kind of situation, but legally that gets really really touchy. Obviously, yeah. You um, literally, I'm reading through it now. You, so you literally have to become an an accredited investor through the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah. And oh, that's strange. <laughs> uh, it makes sense though. Yeah, I mean legally, that's that's. That makes sense, and it also makes sense that they would be able to. I don't know. It, maybe the laws aren't even in existence yet because this is an entirely new concept. But they should be able to, maybe even just lobby, <laughs> to get to the point where this is a more accessible thing for 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 a lot more people to actually be able to invest in it. Because it's not, you know, it's not any different conceptually from donating five thousand dollars to one of these Kickstarter campaigns. But in this case, legally, you can't do it right? because it's an investment. But you know what? This really is... I'm thinking about it a little bit more, and this really does solve one of Kickstarter's biggest problems lately, yeah. which is where's the money coming from? How much of this crowd money do they actually need? And how much of it is just gauging interest? Because there's been lots of Kickstarters lately where it kind of comes out that there's no way they can make the game on that small a budget and that they're gauging interest so that other investors will come in. And it's just very strange and dishonest. Like Shenmue 3 is probably the most notable example. Yeah, lately, and, and, and especially Shenmue just, 3, you don't even yeah, know what the deal is. You don't even know. Yeah, you know there's obviously some money coming from Sony, but you just don't know how much and for what and when and why. And it's all... I don't know if it's enough to make you lose faith in the project because from what I can tell, the Shenmue games are good. I haven't played them, but I'm not expecting Shenmue to be bad. But there, it seems important that when you ask fans for money, not investors, not accredited investors with net worths of over a million dollars in liquid assets, but when you ask Joe Schmo Gamer uh, to throw in money, you, you got to tell them what they're doing it for. And this, it tells you for this project that they have, Outer Wilds, that investors have committed $34,000, which is super important information. Yeah. I would, I would gladly, do, I don't know, I don't know if I would gladly is the right word, but I would prefer to back a project on FIG than I would on Kickstarter because it's way more Hell transparent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Even if yeah, even if you're just a donator, I think it's a it's a it's a more it's instantly more uh, respectable. It's more reputable. It's more it it has it it, it has accountability and and it also has a board of advisors or oh God, what do they call them? 
They have I think a, there's just a board. advisory board. Yeah, there's a, there's an advisors board of people who uh, ostensibly are basically passing judgment on these games and, and deeming them worthy to be on the site. Uh, I don't know, you know, if Tim Schafer's actually looking at these or if they just put his name on it and he goes to a meeting once a year. But you know, their names are there. It's it has more it has more accountability. It it seems more legit. And uh, and coincidentally, that game. Outer Wilds, have you played it? No. Holy shit. Outer Wilds blew me away. Um, really? Yes. It is It is awesome. It is totally unique. It is really fascinating. It's not really a game <laughs> at the point where it is right now, uh, but you can download it for free, or you could a couple years ago when I, when I tried it. Um, it is... I thought it was incredible. Just the things it was doing were really interesting. You you just fly around like a little solar system in your spaceship, and it's a very very scaled down solar system. But uh, you you explore it basically, and and it, it it's a very simple concept. And even the execution in a lot of ways is really simple. But it I don't know. There's something about that game that that really really kind of blew me away. Uh, it, it was actually like one of my favorite games of I think I think I played it in 2013. Um, so it, it, you should play outer wilds. You should just check that out. It's so, it's so interesting. It's so cool. And, and to, and I really want that to become an actual game. And when I saw, like I hadn't heard anything about it since I played it. And then I pull up this fig website and it instantly takes you to outer wilds. And I'm going, Holy shit, this is getting funded. This is actually a thing. And I was thinking when I was playing it, I was like, if I could invest in this game, I would, because I think that it's going to be a hit. And it looks like it's, it looks like it might be. It it looks really really cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Um, on f- more on Fig though, I'm just looking at the Outer Wilds page and seeing some of the features. The game info tab next to the um, video and promotional stuff that's really interesting. Um, so Kickstarter, it's it's designed for generic projects. Games are just one thing that can be on there. You can make an art book or a, a fucking pizza. Or any, you can put anything on Kickstarter, but yeah. Fig is for games. So they have a timeline called Development Stage, where it shows you what point in development they are from concept, prototype, alpha, beta, production, release. And I can see right now that Outer Wilds is an alpha. I understand where they're at in the project. I don't have to scroll down and look at their goofy graphic of their stretch goals to understand what languages are supported and what platforms it's all right there in a in a um, curated format at the very top so i understand exactly what the project is going to deliver which is probably more important to people whose english is not their first language um, because they can tell if the game is going to have subtitles and voice in their language this is great this needed to happen and it's just a superior platform yeah, it's it's very cool. Uh, so I'm 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 glad that's a thing. I think it's kind of inevitable that it was a thing because this is the first thing I thought of when when Kickstarter was first becoming popular and I had a lot of problems with it. Was like, well, why doesn't someone make this? But you can invent. I knew the reasons why someone had, couldn't do that because legally it would be a fucking nightmare. But like, when when there's an idea, there's always a way, and and they found a way apparently. And I hope I hope it gets to the point where. Joe Schmo can can invest. That would be so interesting. Yeah. It's so cool, and that that would actually, I think, that would wildly change just how business is done in general. Because just the whole idea behind this of like you're not investing in the IP, you're not investing in the company, you're investing 
in the sales. That's it. It's a very simple idea. And I think it's very appealing to kind of our generation almost just like the, the internet in generation and the Kickstarter generation of people. I think, I think that's the way business is going to be done on the internet uh, in a lot yeah. of ways. And so it's, it's, it's really innovative. I, th- I think it's, I think it is, it is going to change the scene in some big ways. And even if Joe Schmo can't invest because of the barrier of being an accredited investor, it's still a huge deal because it's now way easier for actual investors with capital to throw around to become aware of these projects and get in touch with the developers. Yeah. Uh, so now a thing that I want to mention is <laughs> not everything's bright and sunny with fig. Uh, I just right off the bat, there's a few problems that I can see with this game. Uh, biggest, the biggest problem to me is say I was wanting to support this game and wanted to invest in it. Uh, and let's, let's assume that the investment is an investment and not a donation with a potential kickback, uh, that this is supposed to be an investment where you recoup your entire, all the money that's entered if it sells well. Well, this thing has 30 days remaining. Let's say I want to invest. Why would I invest now when the campaign is at $60,000 of an $125,000 goal? And so you can assume the game is worth, in, in, in some meaningful way, it is worth $60,000 right now. What if this goes viral as you know uh, Tim Schafer's game did, where it goes way past its goal and it becomes this monstrosity of a game where they're trying to spend money in places that they can't? Or... God forbid it becomes something like uh, uh, Squadron 42 slash whatever it's called, a uh, uh, space game. I, I'm, I'm having a terrible, terrible <laughs> time with my memory right now. Um, there, there's no way you can recover your investment because it can't sell well enough to gain back its money. Well, no. Uh, um, I, think, <laughs> I think that the... Being able to see how much is currently committed to the project and how much time is remaining might be a factor, but this is actually, I think, the best thing about it, that there, in addition to just the crowdfunded donations, there is legitimate investment that people are doing, and that's how the rest of the industry has worked since the very beginning of it. I mean, you are accountable to people who have invested money in your product. And you just don't have the luxury of going wildly over budget or spending money. But you don't have the choice if if it gets funded for more than it. Like if if so many people invest. Well, that's the thing. Investors who are accredited investors who do this kind of thing and have that kind of capital, they would understand this. They would they would have some valuation of the product that is independent of how much is pledged to it, I would say. I would assume that if it weren't for the fact that Kickstarter exists and is successful and games have gotten funded on it and people have spent $83 million on, on whatchamacallit. That's that's true, (laughs) but you got to separate the mindset of Joe Schmo gamer who wants to play, I guess, uh, star Wars meets Skyrim, AKA star citizen. I'm going to, I think I should just drink some Drano after saying that. Um, 
and there's a difference between people like that who donate ten dollars at a time and people who are sitting down seriously and investing thirty four thousand dollars in a project i i just i just don't expect that to be a problem for the people who make investments on a regular basis We'll see. I, I, I hope you're right, um, because I'd like to see this be a successful and not a complete disaster. But I, I think the, the, the part of the concern comes from people who aren't investing, people who are just donating. If it does blow up, if it does go viral, and they have you know $5 million to blow on this game that shouldn't cost anywhere near $5 million, do they just not spend that money, which is probably what they should do? Or are people going to expect them to spend that money and make the game this bigger thing that costs more? that they can't justify to give that money back to the investors. I, I don't know. It's weird. Because, like, the Outer Wilds in particular is the kind of game where, like, it shouldn't cost a lot of money to make. I've played it in its current form, which was made by one person for, like, a graduate student project. And uh, it, the graphics aren't very good. The game is very small scale. It It can be expanded on a lot. But it doesn't need to be, you know, an expensive right. project. And if it was an expensive project, I don't think it would sell any better than it would as a cheap project. But I don't have any control over that as a potential investor. I suppose. But what you do have control over is how much equity you're buying with your money. So you can... Sort of, but not not, not, not in terms of the, the percentage of the value of the, of the investment, you know? Because normally works? in an investment, you would... In, in, in most small investments it's like here's how much money you're investing and here's the percentage of the total you know here's how much of that you're buying here's the percentage of the total value of the thing that you're investing in and in this case you've only got a current percentage and in 30 days it could be you know it could go from 10 percent to 0.1 percent you have no idea oh oh i see what you're saying i don't think that's Oh, it works. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it would be like sales that you would not be getting 10% of whatever is backed, that you would be getting 10% of what the game sells. Yeah, but... So you would have some expectation of how it would sell that's independent of its current level of backing, I guess. But then again, I guess you have to sort of lump it together because people are buying the game through their backing sometimes. Yeah, and and it's just like, <clears throat> like if a bunch of people, if a bunch of people donate to the goal, not necessarily invest, but donate to the goal, and instead of investing, you know, ten thousand dollars of a one hundred thousand dollar goal, uh, it goes past that goal, and now you've invested ten thousand dollars in something that is now worth two million dollars. Well. Maybe it sells the same amount that it would at the $100,000 limit, not limit, but goal. Uh, but now, assumedly, they've spent a lot more money on the game and are expected to give a lot more money back to the investor. But they would they be able to do that because they've only sold as many copies as they would have at a lower <laughs> it's late. I, and I don't know no, if I'm I expressing think, this correctly, I or I don't know if I'm thinking about it correctly. I don't think but you're right. <laughs> I think you're just wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go back and listen. Like, to I this. think it's it's all percentage based. Like normally, when you invest in something, you're you're. But in this case, it's not percentage. Really, I don't think because because you're investing a dollar amount of something that has no specific right, right, value. Right, but, 
but you're buying equity. You're, you know, you value it and they sell you a share at a certain price. Could you call it a share though? I mean, it's a share. A share of a product. Of a not, product not that, of a company that doesn't have a specific number of shares. So you don't right, even know but, how much of the product all that All that happens when you buy it. So you think it's worth something and you pay a certain amount of money for a certain percent and that percent is fixed and it doesn't matter what the game sells it can sell one copy or a trillion you get whatever percent you bought you buy a percent no matter how much the project grows you see see what i'm saying but if that if that were the case then you would then the amount of money that you would actually be buying into would change No, well, the amount you pay doesn't change. The amount you get at the okay. end—that's that's the nature of investments. You want it to succeed because, <clears throat> but if it if it does explode and becomes a game that turns ten million dollars in revenue, then you make a lot more money. You you want it to succeed because the better it does, the more you get because your percentage is the same, but the pie is bigger. But again, you don't know <clears throat> how many investors there will be. So how could you possibly know how what well, percentage the of thing. the that's the thing. When you buy 5%, they can't make your 5% any smaller. No matter how big the pie gets, you have 5% But all of that pie. would take is 20 people, and then you're out of percentage. <laughs> yes, that's why they can't sell all their equity, which is why I think it, it's not a problem. that they There's a fixed amount of equity they can sell, ever. Are you and, sure about that? Yeah. I mean, there's a hundred percent. You can't go higher than a hundred percent. Yeah, but I'm not sure if there is a limit to how many people can invest. I think that it's you know. Well, that's. I think part of what makes it work is it not being automated, so that Joe Schmo can pitch in. That there's a separate process for people who are actually investing, because leak because they seem to be adhering to SEC standards. Legally, you cannot sell over a hundred percent of equity in your company that is illegal it's fraud you're telling people that they have equity that doesn't exist yeah so i don't think it's a problem oh i'm gonna look into it uh because i'm really really interested in how this works and 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 whether it's it's an actual legitimate investment or not really um because you know you're, you're talking about equity and stuff but you're actually not even really buying any kind of property that's <clears throat> tangible even in a legal <clears throat> way because it's it, you're not buying the IP or the developer or the game or anything like you're just you're just expecting to be paid back depending on the sales. I don't know. It's weird. It's it's in a weird legal area that that I I'm really interested in. I'm going to definitely do more research on it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's exhausting to it's think cool. about at 12:30 a.m. <laughs> All right. Uh do you have oh well, I do want to mention Pixar has announced that they're making a bunch of sequels, which I think were already rumored. Yes. They, uh, stop like, Stop making Pixar make sequels, and stop getting excited about Pixar making sequels. Cars 3. Woo! Uh, Finding Dory, Incredibles 2, Toy Finally. Story 4. Yep. Wait. Who the fuck asked for Toy I feel like Story I've heard 4? heard about this stuff before. I think I've heard of it, too. Uh, but I think but now I it's like official, when. I guess. Like they released some posters, I think, recently. I don't know, but god damn it. That that company has so much creative power and they just asked them to make sequels. Like yeah. Monsters University was a fine movie, but it wasn't anywhere near what a Pixar movie can 
can be. It, it was just more of the monsters movie in my life. Quality. Yeah, pretty much. And so it, that sucks. I'm tired of it. Yeah. I, I just wanted to get that off my chest. kind of done making heartfelt movies. I hope they're not just completely done with that, but, but it, it seems like it. Disney has just There's sucked their life out. There seems to be like a creative core there, maybe still working. Well, what's um, his name? The the creative director, the, uh, oh God, what is his name? John Lasseter. I don't he, think he's him. still there and he's a genius. I think he is a genius, but I think he's playing the part of executive now because he's like, no behind idea. Toy Story 4. But I'm talking about the guy who directed Up and the recent, the recent one, um, Inside Out. Which I haven't seen, which I heard actually very good things about. It, so. it is great. It's their best movie in a while. Um, but that's by virtue of it not being a sequel. Yeah. Basically. Uh, but yeah, he's still making original movies that aren't sequels. And I guess it's just the nature of the beast that it's a huge company now with lots of intellectual properties. I wonder if they're doing like a Call of Duty style thing. Well, I, they have to be doing this where... Yeah, it can't just be one team. Yeah, there's like a three-year development cycle or whatever, and then they have like... I wonder if they have, still have like an ace team where like they know that every few years they're going to come out with a completely unique movie that everyone loves. I wouldn't be surprised. And we have to wait, you know, now now that Inside Out's come out, we have to wait another like three years to get another Inside Out or Up. Yeah, well, it looks that way. But if those keep coming out, then... Uh... It's gonna be it's gonna be good. I'm just sad that people. I mean, I understand why people get excited that like Incredibles two is a thing because I love Incredibles. It was a great movie, and I I, I will watch Incredibles two and probably enjoy it a lot. But it sucks <laughs> that Pixar is being reduced to sequels. I I hate that so much. Anyway, yeah. weren't they one of the? I guess not. I thought there was some company. I might be thinking of Studio Ghibli. And the Lasseter connection is where I was getting confused. But I think it's somebody at Pixar said that they didn't want to make sequels. And it might have been John Lasseter himself. I don't know. Maybe. I would be surprised. But I, yeah. Yep. Well, so much for that. <laughs> I'm sure they don't want to make sequels. I'm sure of it. Because you can just tell from their movies that they love creating new stuff. And... Oh man, but the passion, the passion in that Larry the Cable Guy Cars 2. Yeah, the passion. It's great. It's like the passion of the Christ. All right. We're done. Yes, we are. Uh sorry there's not a video this week. It's it's late and we didn't want to do a video. You can look at pictures of us though. With some yeah. footage of war crimes. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's that's what you're going to be doing. I don't know. Mike's going to come up with something to put on the YouTube channel. So if you're watching there, I hope you enjoyed the horrifying images that have been presented to you while we talk about video <laughs> games. All right. Good night, everyone. See ya. Okay. So uh, right after I stopped recording, and Mike's not here anymore, uh, I signed off of everything, and I was about to go to bed. But I, I, I just had to satisfy my interest in in this fig stuff and try to figure out what exactly the terms were and i I made an account and went through and acted like i was a uh accredited investor and actually got the actual terms uh simplified terms of the agreement and and they're pretty they're pretty uh i guess standard uh but they're not quite what i expected uh so for every one thousand dollars an investor invests in figs production company so they they create a company 
that you're investing in for each game, I think. Uh, or maybe just the terms change with the game. I don't know. Uh, you're still technically investing in a company, but it, the, the terms are very strange. Anyway, for every $1,000 an investor invests in Fig's production company, if the company and the game are successful, the investor may generally expect to receive. Number one, until the investor gets their $1,000 back pre-tax, uh, 0.3% of the company's net revenue from the PC platforms as defined in the license agreement. Number two, until the investor gets another $250 pre-tax, 0.2% of net revenue. And number three, thereafter, 0.1% of net revenue. Uh, so basically, uh, if the game does... So let's say you, you invest $1,000. Uh, if the game makes at least... Let's see, what is $1,000 times... Mm, what percentage of... I'm trying to do this math in my head, and it's late. Basically, you're going to be paid 0.3% of the company's net revenue, which is not net profit. This is revenue, uh, which I don't know how the... What I want to know is how the backers' funds factor into that. Because if, if it goes fucking viral, like we talked about, uh, does that contribute to revenue? Or is that part of the initial investment? That's where the confusion gets in. And I, I, I want to say that would be part of the revenue. Um, I would hope that that would be part of the revenue. In which case, you would be able to tell when the game gets funded. There's a chance that you would get all of your money back right away, which would be pretty cool. Um but uh, anyway, that's 0.3% of the net revenue, which is, it doesn't sound like a lot, but if the game is extremely successful, you know, I mean, there, there's been a lot of Kickstarters that have been very successful, that that could, that could very quickly get your uh, $1,000 back. Um, God, what is that? That would have to be, what, 300 and something thousand dollars if you invested $1,000? It would have to get, it would have to get a revenue of 300 and something thousand, I think to get you your $1,000 back, which is reasonable. That's not unheard of at all. Um, I mean, at this rate, how much is the game funded for at this point? Let me see if I can... Oh, now I can't get back to the page that has the game on it. Anyway, the, the, I think the game has like $50,000 invested already or 60000 or something. But the goal... Interestingly enough, the goal is very is is much less than that than the than amount the amount that it would take for you to get your thousand dollars back. Uh, but then after you get your thousand dollars back, <laughs> incrementally, you get less and less of the net revenue, which is it's that's standard. I think that that's a pretty standard investment practice where it's like there's a higher chance that you're going to get your initial investment back, and then you know reasonably they say all right all right so you've got your money back now here's a smaller percentage of the revenue past that um i don't know i think that that has potential uh especially if the backers funds are part of the revenue that's that is the really that's the big question and i i can't imagine that it wouldn't be but the nature of the site where both are kind of on the same page in a way like you can see the investors funds right next to the backer funds and i think they're even totaled together that's a weird way to present it i i don't know 
but that's interesting. I, I that that has potential. I, I, oh God, I hope that's successful. Anyway, I, 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 you know, I needed to record that before I forgot to uh, when I edit the podcast back t- tomorrow. It's it's late, uh, so hope you enjoyed my little post podcast podcast. Good night, everyone.